When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I am your moderator, John Viola, and happy to be here today with a very special guest. Roe and I are in the Tower of Italian Power together with Congressman Lou Barletta of Pennsylvania. Congressman, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Yeah, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you. It's really great to have you here, and uh, we appreciate you coming and joining us because, you know, part of our responsibility, as we see it with the Italian American Podcast, is to bring our listening audience the, not just fun and entertainment and the ins and outs of who we are, but also the important news of the day as it concerns uh, our Italian American community and Certainly in recent weeks, that news consists of some very encouraging developments coming out of, uh, of Italy now and, and Italian America around what has become a big topic, which is new tariffs that many European exporters are being faced with. And Italy uh, has been a part of that list, 25% tariff added to some of their products a few months ago, some very important foodstuffs that find a significant export market here in the United States. And in recent months, there's been conversation about an additional 25 to 100% tariff being added on products like uh, prosciutto di parma and parmigiano cheese and everything from wines and cookies and the like. And, Congressman, thankfully, you've played a central role in preventing uh, these additional costs, which would mean uh, a great deal not just to the Italian manufacturers and exporters, but also to uh, our Italian-American community, which is a good portion of a vast consumer base here in the United States. So... Congratulations, and looking forward to talking about the work you've done with AIFC. Is that, are we using the acronym? Is it AIFC, or we, do we not use the acronym? Yeah, we do. We use it, uh, AIFC, American Italian Food Coalition. And uh, what could be better uh, than, you know, leaving Congress and, and coming on as a chairman of, uh, of uh, 450 uh, food manufacturers <laughs> and producers yeah. and associations from, from Italy and, and uh, represent them, and the coalition that uh, that I'm chairing represents pasta, Italian coffee, cookies, and sweet biscuits. Gosh, almighty! And uh, you know they got hung up. Italy got hung up in the middle of the, of this controversy, which is which is pretty uh, interesting. Uh, France, Spain, Germany, and the UK for years have been unlawfully subsidizing Airbus. Yeah, the United States made a claim. And finally, the World Trade Organization found that the United States was corrected, uh, that they were unlawfully subsidizing Airbus. So the United States was allowed to put retaliatory tariffs on EU products to make up for the money sure. uh, that, that was lost over the years. And when the list came out, lo and behold, there was uh, many products which came from Italy. So those that were uniquely Italian, mainly the pasta, sweet biscuits, coffee, and cookies, uh, they came over and they said, we need a chairman of this coalition to try to stop these tariffs that w- will really hurt uh, so many Italian businesses 
And who would be better than someone who's Italian, former member of Congress, and has a good relationship with the president? And so they asked if I would uh, take this job. It's like a dream come true for uh, a little Italian like myself. <laughs> and you be. became the protector of Parmigiano. Well, it was it a was pretty simple message is like, what is America without pasta? Absolutely and, and, what, and what does pasta have to do with Airbus? <laughs> I mean, if you just ask those two questions, it's pretty easy why we were successful. And uh, it was a big deal. But I could tell you uh, it would have really hurt many of the mom and pop businesses uh, in Italy, as well as the point we were going to make. Not only that, uh, Italian food has become part of American culture. We grew up on it. It is like no other country um, you know, you think of, you know, here, Little Italy and Philadelphia, the Italian market and communities all across America have those mom and pop uh, Italian stores and markets. And they be, they become part of the American economy yeah, in, in, in many of these communities. So you would not have only been punishing uh, Italy, which had nothing to do with Airbus and the consortium that, that was involved, but also you would have been punishing Americans and businesses and obviously the consumer who would pay the price and the distributors so it went on and on and thankfully we were we were successful you served eight years four terms in the house representatives and i know having been in washington for six years i couldn't even buy you a pack of gum when you were there but i'm hoping you can get some samples of the foods you're representing here right are you eating well are you eating better i am <laughs> eating well i'm working out twice as much <laughs> to try to, imagine, yeah. i'm to sure try everyone's to just all the italians are sending him stuff <laughs> yeah, like. so, of course absolutely how, how else could they thank you but uh just ply you with pasta and cookies and all those great things. It's really interesting because I don't think people think about how substantial of a trade partner Italy is and has been for such a long time to the United States. Twelfth largest trade partner that we have here. It actually seems to me Italy would have been a more significant partner. Is there uh, a change going on? I know it's kind of slipping in the ranking. It is, but, but you know, I, I do believe the United States and Italy have such a good relationship. They're such a good ally of the United States, and I know President Trump has, has met with uh, President of Italy, as, and those relationships are on, only going to get stronger, especially through this um, controversy here with the tariffs where, where we really saw close up here what it would mean to the businesses in Italy uh, if they were tariffed more, how it would close so many of those businesses and how it would affect us here in America. You know, and it's not joking, not because I'm Italian, but, you know, Italian food, we all have our favorite Italian restaurants. It's like nowhere else yeah. ha has the Italian culture grown to be part of, of our culture. Yeah. And I, you know, I was good friends with Joey Vento, who had the famous Gino's cheesesteak in, yeah, sure. in Philadelphia. And he, and you got rest this all, Joey passed away, but he was as Italian as, as you can get, but he would always tell me, you're not Italian-American. You're an American from Italian descent. Oh, we hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah. We, we had that conversation last week, actually. You know, and, and it was interesting because Joey was really old school, but you just meet people. I was at the De Bruno Brothers in, in Philadelphia. There's a connection. Yeah. Because we grew up, you know, we... My childhood could probably be interchanged with so many other people's childhood and how we were raised and how faith and family play such a role in, in your upbringing and family dinners. I mean, we, we go back and it's just the Italian way. So you grew up in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, and that's where Correct. you eventually became mayor and ran for Congress from there. Was Hazleton a particularly Italian community? Mm -hmm. Very much so. It still is. Really? Uh, you know, it's funny, Hazleton, you know, you grew up around the Italian church. That's where the Italian neighborhoods went. You know, we were, you were around the Italian church. And, um, you know, the Irish grew up around the Irish churches. Yeah. And Hazleton was, you know, one of those small communities. And, you know, my mother, again, God rest her soul, she passed on. And, and uh, I remember when I told her that I was going to marry my wife, who is Irish. <laughs> and my mother loved her to death. But I remember one day she said, Louis, can't you find a little Italian girl? <laughs> it was almost like a mixed marriage. Of to course, her. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard pill for a lot of uh, old timers to swallow. Our other co-host who's uh, not here today is Patrick O'Boyle. And his mother is Italian and his father's off the boat from Ireland. And but he's the most Navladon Irishman oh my gosh, you'll yeah. ever meet. He speaks Neapolitan beautifully and... It really drives him nuts when people uh, out there in the audience complain about his last name <laughs> and his, his credentials, you know. But he's more Italian than anybody, I think. Yeah, definitely more Italian than either of us. So your family came over here how many generations ago? So my 
My grandfather was born here. My grandmother on my father's side came over when she was 12 years old. My mother's parents, so I'm 100% Italian, my mother's parents were from northern Italy. They both came over from Italy. So it was only my grandfather that was born here. So, you know, we grew up like most Italian families. Everyone lived a block or two away from each other. My best friends were my cousins. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know that feeling. You know, because that's, you didn't have any other friends. You just grew up together and... Um, you know, my father had six brothers. There were seven boys wow. and, and two girls. Uh, they started picking uh, huckleberries with my grandfather. Then they began picking coal. Wow. And then they got into the sand and gravel business. And they, and they were entrepreneurs. My father only went to eighth grade. Yeah. They didn't have an education. All they knew was to work. And they were blessed because those seven brothers had like 30 of us. Boys, <laughs> an army of workers. Yeah. So they had a very Free cheap. Labor. They, that was before labor laws would have arrested <laughs> course, them for yeah. for how they sure, <laughs> made us work. But you know, everyone in my family worked in the business, and I grew up that way, never being afraid to start a business because I watched. You know, they they started a sand and gravel, then they were in asphalt, and then they were in ready mix concrete, then they built an amusement park, wow. they built a golf course, they and heating, and they didn't think anything of it. It was just everybody had to work. Uh, in one of the businesses. So I believed that that's what my life would be, just like my brothers and my cousins. I'm the youngest of four boys. Uh, I was actually the first to go to college in my family. Um, you know, I wanted my mother and father to be proud that one of their children went to college, yeah. but uh, that's not what I really wanted to do. I wanted to play Major League Baseball. Yeah, that's right. I understand that. So you, you had a tryout. I did. I did. I want to play center field for the New York Yankees, as a matter of fact. Not be specific, but really, that was my dream. Why the Yankees coming uh, out of Pennsylvania? Well, because in, in northeastern Pennsylvania, we were in a New York and Philadelphia media market. So ah. growing up, the Phillies were on TV, the Yankees, and the Mets. My father loved Joe DiMaggio. Sure. So time I was a little boy, the Yankees were on, and I immediately became a Yankee fan and um, wanted to play center field. Uh, went to college, studied elementary education, and uh, my third year, I actually had an opportunity to try out with the Cincinnati Reds. Wow. Married my wife while we were in college. That's beautiful. Quit school, went to Florida, played baseball. Wow. Um, according to the Reds, I could not hit a curveball. <laughs> what was that like? like? What does that even mean? <laughs> exactly. There's other pitches you can hit. You don't have to hit them all. Just <laughs> you got to hit one of them, two of them. But absolutely right. I read that. I was like, that's that's not fair. Discriminating. I mean, geez. that's absolutely true. Perfect. Anti-Italian bias. Yeah, honestly, on the Reds. right away. So they sent me home. Uh, threw my glove in the trunk. Went home. Went back to work um, for the family business, and was really at a point in my life where uh, I was unsure and unhappy. Uh, went to college to make my mom and dad proud, didn't graduate. I went to play baseball, thing I wanted to do my whole life, didn't make it. Ended up right back to where I started from. Um, was really unhappy. I have four daughters. At this point, we had two of the four, my two oldest. And um, I wanted to go back to school, but I needed money, so I had to work. Uh, didn't really want to work in the family business anymore because... It was like I left and, and yeah. didn't make it, but had an opportunity. I got a card in the mail for $29.95. You can stripe your own parking lot, this postcard said. Stripe it, meaning paint the parking lines. And I thought to myself, $29.95, I could start my own business. So I was so excited. <laughs> I went home. I told my wife, I said, I got a great idea. I'm going to quit my job, and we're going to start a line painting business. Wow. She should have left me that day. <laughs> she said, what do you know about line painting? I said, oh, not much. I know there's yellow lines in the middle, white lines on the edges. And she said, and how are we going to start a business? We have no money. I said, I knew you were going to say that. And I pulled out the card and I showed her that we only needed twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> and uh, we actually did. For wow. twenty nine ninety five, you get a case of aerosol cans, by the way, which isn't really what you should use to stripe <laughs> a road. But... Through the hard work that I grew up with in my family, um, that little business grew to be the largest in the state of Pennsylvania in five years. Wow. And when we sold the business, when I became mayor of Hazleton, it was the sixth largest in the country. God bless you. Wow. And it was literally just, you know, just things that were instilled in me from the time I was young from my, from my family. We say all the time on this show, 
there's a sentiment of put your head down and work that's so deep in who we are. Mm. And in some ways, it's actually been politically a, a bit of a handcuff because we're not really a community that complains. I mean, to see a victory like you guys have achieved with the tariffs, frankly, is a great testament to the work that went in because every time something like this comes up, I have this terrifying fear that we Italians won't be able to rally to a cause because we are sort of busy with our heads down working. You know? Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. But, uh, you know, again, it's a it's a value that you don't see in, in a lot of people all the time anymore. But like failure wasn't just wasn't in your DNA. Yeah. You know, if even if you didn't get what you, you, you wanted, you didn't fail. You just got to keep doing it. I think people have this sense of entitlement today that, you know, working hard like it, one plus one has to equal two at some point and they just expect it to happen. And sometimes it really doesn't. And you just really have to work hard forever. Yeah. And people have a hard time accepting that. Yeah. You know, people like my grandmother didn't walk around saying, you mean I just have to work in this factory forever? And it's like, <laughs> yes, Romana. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's true. I mean, my grandfather would drive a truck and my grandmother was always side businesses, piece work and making flowers. And it just, you know, it's how yeah. even yeah. when I was a kid, I was 14 years old. My dad was like, here's your working papers. I went and bust tables at an Italian luncheonette in Jersey. And that was my Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just amazing. Like I said, it doesn't matter. You know, we all grew up in different families, but there are so many things that, that connected us, you know, and, and, and we tried to pass that on to, to our families, you know, to our children and, and hopefully now to our, our grandchildren because the traditions that we experienced, that I experienced growing up, should always be kept. Yeah, uh, yeah we're Americans, there's no question. And, you know, thank God we live in the greatest country on earth. Amen. But, you know, the traditions that were passed on to us are something that, I hope never goes away. I mean, I, I still have my mother's meatball recipe, and which I will not give to my brothers. <laughs> uh, I always a, leave a couple <laughs> ingredients out. That's the Italian That's another Italian <laughs> way, yeah, American. of course. Yeah. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Proprietary but, recipe. But my mother loved Christmas. I mean, the decorating and, the, you know, just the traditions and the meal, the Christmas Eve meals. And, you know, those things, you know, I hope never go away. And I hope, you know, my children will end up keep passing them on to theirs. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There was an interesting article in The Atlantic, I think, the other day. My brother sent it to me. Mm -hmm. And my brother and I, my brother works down the hall from where we record in the studio. So we're together every day. And we're very, very close. And we bought houses like half a mile apart in the <laughs> suburbs. And we do everything together. And I always champion, and we champion on the show a lot, too. Pat's a great proponent of the idea that the extended clan family model is what's been such a great piece of our success because a you have a built-in network of support b you talk about not sensing failure it's almost like there's relatively no idea of failure because what's the worst that happens you come back to this great clan of yours you know in this right. wonderful home and traditions and the the fight for tradition is really about the sacred and the profane right it's not mm -hmm. just the profanity of okay i'm going to make this recipe this way it's that doing that and doing it so that the taste is familiar and people come back to the table. It's what keeps us in this great safety net that empowers us to go further and further and further. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mother and I think of, you know, you, it was a sin if you left a meal hungry. <laughs> you know, it was just a sin. She just overfed you. Yeah, of course. You have to be totally uncomfortable for them <laughs> right, to be okay right. with you. Yeah. Right. Not eat. Yeah. I, I think the safeguarding of tradition is so uniquely Italian American, especially today. I mean, I always ask myself, how easy could it have been for my parents, since they're both from the same town, to meet in Italy and stay in Italy? And my father, after I was born, could have worked for telecom in Italy, yeah. and I could be Italian and just not American. But I'm very happy I'm Italian American because we just wouldn't be the same. No. proud people i know it because in italy they don't care as much about making the sauce and no. the little things anymore they almost think that they're better than all those little quaint traditions yeah. that we have so i'm so proud that we are the way that we are we're very lucky people so so blessed and, so and, blessed and frankly i think we're you know i, I encountered this a lot when i was at NIAF because you know we are post assimilation right like yeah. our our needs and, and advocacy I mean, look, the the organization you're running was only started as this thing developed because we don't have standing occasions for fighting for community needs. But I think as we evolve 
towards a even more assimilated community, I actually think we have a great service to offer the rest of the country for a successful model of what the immigrant experience is because we do maintain our traditions in a very distinct way, more so than a lot of ethnic groups that came when we came. But we are fully engaged and fully activated and very proud Americans. And, and you see that from all political bents and stripes. It's a very unique community that we have. And I think we need to share that more. Yeah, you know, just in the in the coalition, um, you know, in fighting the tariffs, you know, we weren't only fighting for, for those businesses in Italy um, that would be out of business or wouldn't have a market here in the United States, but I was... I felt personally attached that I was also fighting for my own selfish Amen. Uh, yeah. reasons is that, you know, Italian foods, it's just part of who we are as America and part of our culture. And here I am in a position, I joke about it, you know, I'm, I'm probably able to do more out of Congress than I was in Congress. And this is one of the, I mean, just this alone is a small, I mean, it's not in, in the whole global you know, ideas of, of all the things that are going on. You know, it's not the most important thing in the world, but to someone like myself who's very proud to be Italian and, and, and here in America and have a small role in doing something to protect those traditions uh, is gratifying. Well, it means a great deal to us, I could tell you that much. Well, I mean, just seeing on the micro level of all the, you know, I, I associate with all these people that uh, long for Italian enclaves and the, the old neighborhoods and the golden age of Italian America, especially in New York. And, you know, when I hear them constantly complain about these neighborhoods disappearing and their favorite pork store isn't there anymore and their favorite pizzeria isn't there anymore, this would have just contributed oh, to to just the the complete disappearance in a, in a number of years. And I don't think people realize how important this was. Especially in small towns yeah. small communities I mean, I mean new york is so huge and and you know maybe it's not as transparent as it would be in a small town where you might have one or two italian stores mm-hmm. italian markets yeah. they and they're, they're competing with all these bigger stores yeah. so their profit margins are are not very big and you know they'd be out of business they'd be closing all across the country they would not be able to survive those mom and pop and that would be another part of our traditions our heritage uh, that we're so proud of that would that would go away and you see a lot of those businesses out there. I mean, you know, they are mom and pop. They are owned by family. And we interview a lot of uh, the next generation that comes in. And, you know, they really, it's a conscious decision to make a go of these kind of businesses. Because like you said, the margins aren't gigantic and they're very specialized. But they are consciously fighting for our heritage. And so this victory means a great deal to them. And, I mean, look, Ro, your, Ro's husband is a small business owner. They've got a chain of Italian uh supermarkets around the New York City area and I, I know from our conversations how much it means these these costs and these taxes and things like that these tariffs well when I was in uh, uh, I did a roundtable in Philadelphia to talk about the impact it would have and, and uh, the owner of the Bruno brothers talked about the fact that we would have fake Italian products yeah coming from other countries yeah um, basically you know so you know the the authentic Italian foods that we know and love would would go away and you'd have fake Italian products. Well, in theory, we have some of that now with Belgioioso and Sargento pushing, you know, Italian cheese that, you know, kind of like you you can't make Grana Padano in Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we try, but, you know, you don't want that to be the only option. You know, you want to be able to to get anything. We live in the greatest country in the world and we should be able to get the greatest products in the world as well. And I mean, it's great that we have... I always say we have, like, indigenous brands, you know. Uh, I drink Medaglia Doro coffee. It's an Italian-American coffee brand, and I love the fact that you can get American versions of Italian products. But the bottom line is it shouldn't be the limit, you know. It shouldn't be mm-hmm. all we can get. I think yeah. you have to be able to sort of have the range, and this is a big big part of how our heritage is passed on. Well, we can't stop because, you know, these tariffs are going to continue, um, you know, maybe three months they'll be revisited again. Uh, so... Uh, you know, we were also able to, um, uh, you know, the tariffs on, on uh, uh, olive oil, uh, uh, Italian cheeses and liqueurs also didn't get expanded, which was a good deal. But we have to keep working because it's always going to be on the table. You talk about the continuous work because, again, you know, as the world globalizes, this is going to be an issue for a good long time. And Italy relies. I mean, it's funny. Our new associate producer is from Dunmore, Pennsylvania, and uh so as soon as I read the 
article in the Philadelphia Inquirer about the victory here, we kind of called each other and said, we got to talk to Congressman Barletta. And she's like, don't worry, I could do this. She's sick today, unfortunately, <laughs> Stephanie. Right. Um, but as we were having the conversation and sort of plugging in the research, she brought to my attention that like 70% of Italian wine comes to the United States. That's incredible. I yeah. mean, you can't imagine what that means for that economy. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, a, it's a critical part of their economy. And, and uh, um, I was at the um, ambassador, Italian ambassador's residence, a meeting with Italian businesses and, and their secretary of uh, trade, I guess you, you would call them. And, and, and to hear their stories straight from their own mouths on, on how many of their businesses already have closed or, wow. or just simply would go away um, would hurt the country of Italy very, very deeply. But the point that I tried to make is it would also hurt us here in America because Italy is such a big trade partner. And it's, like I said, Italian food like none other is, is part of American culture. There is no America without pasta. No. No, Simple definitely. as that. I mean, as a retailer, now uh, I have an online shop that sells Italian products, uh, pastas, uh, canned uh uh, mixture to make your St. Joseph Day pasta from Sicily. So I really see just how it impacts someone to be able to get something like that. You know, I take for granted that I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, in a huge Italian enclave. But I think about the person in Iowa who just can't get something. And when they can, it sparks this nostalgia in them. It sparks a sense, of, oh, my God, my grandmother had these cookies. You know, yeah. she would always buy these cookies from the deli. And it makes you remember, and it makes you feel like you're a part of something. Yeah. You know, when I where we grew up, again, in a small town uh, that had a, a huge Italian population in, in this small town, there were these little Italian stores everywhere. Every every neighborhood, we, we had one. When I think about it now, many of them didn't get passed on to the next generation. Their next generation went to school yeah. and took up another trade, you know, didn't want to stay home in a little town anymore and, and, and left. And a lot of these Italian mom and pop stores went away. And there were very few. So in a town like, like I said, Hazleton, we have maybe one um, that I could think of family-owned little Italian market, and, uh, you know, what would happen? That would go away. So so the next generation wouldn't even know what we're talking about because they wouldn't experience that. It's interesting to think about the continued fight for these products and, and for our identity. Do you foresee this organization, the AAFC, evolving uh, in the future to perhaps serve even more so as a bridge between the two countries, particularly around... Um, the, the economic ties to the to the two places. Well, I think this should be an example to them on on the importance of having a coalition and having a presence here in the United States uh, that could make a difference. It's harder to fight an issue like this from from Italy. Yeah, and and just rely on government officials to, you know, behind closed doors yeah. where people don't see it, try try to sort it out. Uh, as more and more of these businesses now are, are coming to America and, and taking pre a presence, actually, in a, with, you know, obviously with our reduced regulations and taxes, it becomes more attractive for some of these businesses to now come here to the United States. I think it's important for them to have a coalition, yeah. stick together. Uh, you know, I always tell people when I was in, in Congress, if you want to get your voice heard, get a group. Uh, like if you're, uh, we were in the road construction business, uh, so if, you, if, you, if there's an issue, get many from the road construction business and come knock on members of Congress's door because you're going to get their attention. You as an individual, it becomes harder, and yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. But I think the coalition that we have, 450, it's a large coalition, um, has, it made a difference. I mean, it made a big difference, and I think it would be wise for, for those coalitions to stick together because there are going to be always other issues that you'll need a voice and, and, um, and hopefully get results. I think it's really great because it, you and I had crossed paths once or twice in my time at NIAF when you were in the house. And um, so when my alert, my Italian-American alert came up on my morning news feed and I saw your name, I thought, this is really great because I've been advocating for a long time that the Italians start to think of our community a little bit more as a resource here. I mean, there's 25 million of us-ish, 23 to 25, very, very um, successful community, well-educated, engaged, and I, I feel like it's about time, and here's this great example of it of it working out, that the Italians sort of see us as a great 
bridge between the two economies, but also the cultures, because I don't think an Italian from Italy could have come over and led something like this. Well, I was very fortunate, like like I said, to have uh, to have been in a position to be able to do this and um, you know and, and be successful at it and and uh, and know that we made a difference. Yeah, sure did. I wanted to ask a sort of non-related question, but we we just finished polling for a couple months. We none of us have ever run a poll, so we created one and put it up a survey and got about sixteen hundred respondents from across the country, and it was interesting to see. The results and some of the questions were on politics, and I wonder if, in your experience coming from an Italian community, um, representing that community in Congress, did you find you first got elected in 2010? Was there an Italian vote, or was there a sense that people were voting for you and relating to your ethnicity? Or no, there was no question. I mean, that was one of when I started thinking of coalitions and who I need to get in front of. You know, I, I, I always joke that Italians are very clannish. You know, immediately when you find somebody who's Italian, there's there's an sure. attraction. And where where'd you come from? I mean, that's always this, the question is, where'd you come from in Italy? Where'd your family come yeah. from in Italy? And and uh, you know, so that was one of the first things that that I did is, especially in Philadelphia, there's a large, um, you know, in fact, Philadelphia, other than New York City, is the second largest uh, Italian American community in the United States. Wow, and it's amazing that in so many how that connection is more important than your party registration. Wow. That's fascinating. When I, when I hear people say, I would love to have an Italian in, you know, in Congress, I'd love to have an Italian in the Senate. And, um, many times it, it, it crosses party registration. We actually asked, uh, that question about an Italian presidential candidate because I grew up in a family where, we were very aware of the fact that there had not been an Italian-American president. And I remember, I recall it often, sitting with my dad. And my dad was a big fan of George Bush 41, he, you know, military service. And dad was in the Army. And uh, and I remember watching the press conference where Governor Mario Cuomo was going to announce his candidacy and then, and then did not at around 92 election. And I remember my family being really disappointed because we... I think collectively, I was a kid, but I think they collectively felt like here was a moment where the community was going to accomplish something. And I like to ask young people, Italian-American young people, whether or not they still feel that way. And I do see that number kind of decreasing, but I think when you get down to the ballot box, I think people are still aware of their heritage when it comes to that stuff. Oh, I do too. I mean, I've had so many people tell me they voted for me only because I was Italian. They had no idea what I stood for, (laughs) whether I was a lousy mayor or a good mayor. (laughs) He's Italian. I think I like him. Yeah, but those are Pennsylvania Italians, and I think they're nicer than New York (laughs) Italians. That's probably true. New York Italians are tough. Yeah, I know like you face. (laughs) We do a, a, a YouTube show where we travel around the country and go to different communities and we were booked to go up to New Haven, and so we were budgeting time, and we said, okay, we'll leave 20 minutes for this stop at the Liuzzi Cheese and uh, Italian Product Store. One day it'll be out, the the episode. One yes, day. it's coming out, actually, uh, hopefully next week. And uh, when we got there, they were so nice. They took us to the fat. We spent three hours, and I said, well, I budgeted for New York Italians. So I thought they would be like, uh, what are you doing with the camera? Get out of my store. But they were so nice. Yeah. And well, you know, it's, it's interesting. In, in Congress, at least in the House, we had the Italian-American caucus. Sure. So we would uh, uh, at least once a year go to, uh, maybe twice a year, once we'd go to a restaurant, and then another time we'd be invited over to the Italian uh, ambassador's residence. And it's amazing to find members, again, you didn't care what party they were in, who didn't have an Italian last name, to learn that they were Italian yeah. because of right. their mother's side, and you immediately liked them better. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Wow, I thought you were. But <laughs> yeah, I thought you were a lousy person. <laughs> we need it more and more now. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. Wait, so do you believe there will ever be an Italian American president? I do. I do. Absolutely, I do. I, I think that there will. I mean, Italian Americans have contributed so much, you know, to our country and have risen to so many high levels. And I think it's only a matter of time before uh, before we do see an Italian American president. I hope, well, it, I hope it will be in my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be terrific. Well, you know, 
I'm saving the Italian foods right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, like, don't bother me. I do enough. <laughs> in this climate, that sounds like a lot more fulfilling job than being president of the United States, I can imagine. Uh, well, I always tell everyone, I say, they say, what's wrong with Washington? <laughs> it's simple. They need more Italians. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you yell and scream at each other and then, you know, go out, and, uh, have a drink and, and get things done. My family was amazing because it was, it was seven Italian brothers and they fought like hell. I mean, you, I have never seen fights as bad. They... I, you would swear they were going to kill each other. We oh, would yeah. go. We would go to school. My cousins and I. We'd go to school, and then we would go down to this little office, main office, uh, the construction office, to get our real education from <laughs> four o'clock on and see them fight. And but God forbid somebody walked in there, a stranger, and and said something about one of the brothers who were just fighting. Mm-mm. They wouldn't come out alive. Mm-mm. It was like, nope. you know, we can say that to each other, That's but <laughs> nobody else is going to say. Yeah, say people. That. People would be stunned by how they see these tight Italian families and they don't know inside. We just turn on each other. But once the time comes to unite, you're not separating us. I know that. No, no those arguments were classic. It's probably where <laughs> I learned to debate a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very fair point, yeah. I can imagine uh, being on the floor of the house is not that much different than fighting for what you think <laughs> at the kitchen table for an Italian family. That reminds me of that line in Analyze This. And he's like, well, I could say that, but when you say it, it sounds very <laughs> negative. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, we do have it. We have tribal rights. Uh, Dr. Chambori says it all the time. There's certain tribal rights you can have, you can keep amongst one another, and from family to tribe, it really does transfer. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I think about the prescription for more Italians in the government. Do you have any Italian American political heroes that you grew up with and watched, or anybody that you worked with that you admired as a public servant? No, you know, someone who wanted to play center field for the Yankees, my my Italian heroes were ma- mainly Major League Baseball players, <laughs> you know, because that's who I wanted to, to be like. I had, I was sure, I was so sure I was going to be playing for the Yankees. Uh, even if I was signed by the Reds, I w- wouldn't have been disappointed because I thought I would get traded to the Yankees. <laughs> that's that Italian confidence. Yeah, but... Um, you know, it's it's amazing how life takes you in a different road that you never you never plan on on being. And and again, this came from my father, who, who wasn't educated beyond eighth grade, or or his brothers, uh, grew up in a life that you can do anything. You know, you don't need to be the smartest man in the room or the smartest woman in the room. You need to be smart enough to know hire people who are smarter than yeah, you, sure. and you can succeed. And it was like whatever you got to do to succeed, you figure it out. And you know, I think that was really how I hope my daughters pass that trade on is that, you know, as and it's part, I believe, of our of our culture is you're going to work hard through hard work. Um, you can you can achieve anything. Yeah, that's very, very much the foundation of who we are. I think I think that's the core principle. And you didn't want handouts. They didn't want handouts. No. I mean, that was an insult to them. Yeah, that's true. You're that right was, about that, that. That was an insult. Even if they were down and out and didn't have anything, they didn't want. It was shameful to them. They, you know, they had this pride that they're going to make it. And, and I was just fortunate to uh, to grow up that way, and and hopefully, you know, it got me on a path that, that I was able to do things that, you know, I'm sure my father's in heaven now shaking his head thinking he is the last of my four <laughs> boys who I ever thought would because I didn't pay attention in school I gotta tell you I had some really bad grades oh, me too. Uh, because I wasn't doing I wasn't gonna do anything other than work in the construction company I didn't need to I need to study that yeah. before I'm gonna be working you know in the asphalt plant or in a concrete plant and uh, you never know where life's gonna take you on a different path how did you end up? I mean, I know you were mayor of Hazleton. How did you end up running for Congress? Hated politics. You know, my father was, uh, he was a, a chairman of the city Democrat uh, party. I, w- I was I Republican. So, I mean, things just changed. And I remember as a little boy watching the politicians come to my house, trying to get my father's support, thinking, what a waste of time. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never going to do that. And uh, so when I started my business with my wife, the politics in Hazelton was so bad. The mayor and city council were fighting all the time. The headlines were so negative. And it was just bad. Businesses didn't want to be there anymore. That's how bad it was. I mean, wow. one day there was a picture of a Hazelton city councilman on the front page being taken out of city hall on a stretcher. Oh, my god! After he was beat up in city hall by the highway foreman <laughs> while the mayor watched it happen. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so... 
you know, I was, you know, growing a family, growing a business, and I was so disgusted because businesses were leaving. I went to the politicians, and I, I said, this isn't a good business environment, and it's not good for a young family to grow up here like this. Why can't you run government like a business? And they told me to shut up, go away. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not the way it works. You know, you're naive. And that was the wrong thing to say to me. I just got so angry, and I ran for city council. I was on city council for two years. I said, I can't do enough as a city councilman. I need to be mayor. Uh, ran for mayor, and, and uh, I was elected three times as mayor. And then how did you make the leap to Washington? So, it's funny. So, in Hazleton, which we were 2,000 miles away from the nearest southern border, we ended up, for some reason, uh, had an illegal immigration problem. Really? And I couldn't understand it. I didn't know why Hazleton, we're up in the mountains of Pennsylvania. Uh, we, we were basically bankrupt when I took over as mayor. And in two years, we were able to, uh, through working together, uh, get out of debt. We were on the right path. People were moving back in the city. And then all kind of big city issues came uh, in with the population. And our population grew by 50%, which is a huge growth for a city. Yeah, gosh, but our tax revenue stayed the same. It wow. stayed exactly the same. So I had 50% more people to try to provide services to, but I didn't have an extra penny to do it. And it became impossible. Little crimes became issues that we just didn't have people to do it. Gangs were moving in, recruiting children in third and fourth grade. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I remember one day coming to City Hall, and as I was pulling in my parking space, there was an elderly woman, um, Italian woman, by the way, standing in my spot. And when I got out, she started hitting me in the chest with her finger. <laughs> And she said, listen, Buster, you better do something. I've become a prisoner in my own home. I can't even sit on my porch anymore. And in Hazleton, that's what people like to do. They like to sit on their front porch. And it broke my heart. You know, here was a city I was born and raised in. And, you know, now, you know, a senior citizen can't even sit on their front porch. I felt like I let everybody down. So I went to Washington in December of 2005 and met with the Department of Justice and I said, listen, we have some problems in Hazleton that I need help with. We have gangs that have moved in. We have, uh, you know, I don't have the money and the wherewithal to hire more police. We also have an illegal immigration problem, and I need help. And they brought in all these experts, and at the end of the day, they gave me this nice coffee mug. They gave me a lapel pin, <laughs> and they patted me on the back, and they said goodbye. Wow. And I remember driving home and thinking, well... <laughs> That's disappointing. Yeah. You know, I didn't cause this problem. I'm just asking for help. Yeah. And very shortly after that, May 10th, 2006, they I'll never forget, young man named Derek Kishline, father of three little children, uh, was working on his pickup truck and had some words uh, with a man named Pedro Cabrera, who was the head of the Latin Kings. Uh, Cabrera had been arrested six times, most of them here in New York and left go, being a sanctuary city. Um Cabrera went in his car, got a gun, stuck it between Derek's eyes, shot and killed him. Wow. And we spent half of our yearly budget in overtime in the police department in catching Cabrera and his buddy. And I had to sit with Mr. and Mrs. Kishline, and she wanted to know why this man was still in the country and why is my son gone? Wow. Why is the father of my grandchildren you know, gone forever and this man was still here? And I had enough. I just had enough. Um, nobody was going to help me. Uh, I was elected to do something, so I wrote the first law in the country as a mayor in dealing with the problem of illegal immigration. And um, I was sued the next day by people, by illegal immigrants who sued us. And I said, I'm going to fight this all the way to the Supreme Court. I didn't know how. We didn't have any money. <laughs> but um, every interview I did on TV, literally media from all over the world came because this was the first town that was actually you know, trying to do something. And they wanted to see what was going to happen. And you know, I, at the end of every interview, uh, I would ask people for help. I said, if you want to help Hazleton, send a donation. And it was amazing. We were getting mailbags and bags and bags of checks from all over the country. Every state, including Alaska and Hawaii, sent money to help wow. us. And I realized it wasn't it's just incredible. a wasn't only a problem in Hazleton. It was a problem around the country. And, and people wanted somebody to stand up. And, and I went to Congress with a chip on my shoulder that you caused this. Yeah. You know, people are looking for help. Do something. 
And, you know, don't leave it to mayors and small towns that, to, to be forced. And let me tell you, it's not a fun issue to, to stand up with because you're called names. Sure. Um, it's not – I wouldn't advise uh, that as a pathway to, uh, yeah. to get to Congress. But it was the failure of Congress that really motivated me to, uh, to go there. It's funny. You know, it's such a sensitive issue as a community because as the sons and daughters and grandchildren of immigrants ourselves, you can see – both sides of it, and I and I see people with passion and other people with vitriol on both sides of the argument, and it's it's at the core of who we are. It's really it's tough because yeah. you can see it both ways. Well, believe me, I I experienced it. Um, people confuse illegal immigration with immigrants, yeah, and immigration, and as soon as you do that, your your message becomes anti-immigrant, yeah, which is totally what you don't want to do yeah i mean we're a country of immigrants we know how our grandparents and you know how everyone came to this country we're a country made of immigrants yeah. and we welcome that that's who america is that's why we are the greatest nation amen but there were so many of those that that were really and, and immigrants who i talked to especially in hazel we have a large latino population who, who felt so betrayed it's like listen we waited we came to this country we went through the process we obeyed the laws and others are not. And those are mainly the people who are hurt the most by it. I, I understood this issue very deeply. But let me tell you, it gets twisted into an anti-immigrant message. And then you can't have a debate. Yeah. You can't talk about it anymore because then, you you know, it's, it's just it's a very hard issue to deal with. And I can tell you, being in Congress, Congress really, they shy away from it. Say all the right things. They'll tell you what they're going to do. At, at the end of the day, they don't want to take a vote because it, it's politically not helpful to them, uh, which is disappointing to me because uh, I went there to try to get things done. And that means tackling tough issues. And, yeah. and it's not fair to immigrants who come here and want to make a better life. Listen, we want to give immigrants a better education for their children. We want to give them a better job. We want them to earn more money. We saw that happen in our own families. Yeah. And that's what America should be. And we shouldn't be afraid to stand up for that and say, listen— we welcome you. This is where we want you to come and raise a family. But you have to follow the laws yeah. because it's unfair to those most vulnerable. People at the lowest end of the economic ladder get hurt the most by this issue than, than others. And politicians are just afraid to say it because you're going to be called names. I mean, you talk about the frozen nature of politics in this country, right? People who are elected in many cases with great intention and you go into this big system that handcuffs you a little bit. To staying away from important issues, and do you think there's a solution to what ails the legislative branch? Yeah, term limits. I agree with you. Yeah, term limits. Yeah. So many people, you know, they like the way of life. They like the, you know, they just want to get elected again, and it's unfortunate. Um, I didn't like being away from my family. You know, I like sleeping in my own bed. I like my wife's cooking. <laughs> yeah, I like seeing my children and grandchildren. But I felt like I was serving. And if I was going to Washington, I want to get something done. And that means you got to work together. You don't have to agree on everything. I joined a bipartisan working group. There were 27 of us. We would meet every Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock in Washington to work together. Okay, there, there are going to be some issues we're not going to agree on. But there's so many things we can agree on. And why should we be afraid to stand together, Democrats and Republicans? And Washington, for someone like me, was very hard for, for me to uh, live in an environment like that where, to me, listen, if I stood up and I didn't get elected for what I believed in, I'll go home proud yeah. that I stood up. People knew where I stood on an issue. And if they didn't like it, send me home. I'll get another job. I'm not lazy. Yeah. But I'm not going to say what I want just to try to get elected again and really not do anything about that issue. I didn't want to be there that badly. So I left there with a little chip on my shoulder because I felt that we could have gotten and should have gotten so many more things done uh, and could have. I mean, how do we not get infrastructure done, for goodness sake? It's not, it's not even a partisan issue. Yeah, I, I think that all the time. That I mean, should be like the, the should biggest be layup issue ever, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, so... You know, I was a little disappointed as someone who had their own business, someone who was a mayor and had to make decisions, um, you know, to go to Washington and see how many issues did, and, and people just keep getting elected again. Uh, term limits isn't a bad idea. Well, it sounds like the prescription to fix Washington is bringing more Italians. We work well no together. Totally we want to be in our own beds. They'll eat our say own food. as it is. They'll <laughs> say what they mean That's and mean true. what they say. And, and, you know, like them or not, 
you know, you know where they're going to come from, and and that's the way we're raised. And you know, I have enough friends. I didn't go to Washington to make any friends. I have. <laughs> You know, Truman was right. You want a friend in Washington, get a dog. So I did. <laughs> I got Riley. He's an English golden. And he came. I took him to my office every day. And That's great. Both of us would shake our head at the end of the day. <laughs> thinking, this place is messed up. It sure is. I'll tell you what. I got a touch of it at the National Italian American Foundation and got to see the good and bad and the good and bad. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, you're right. What What are community can do well together. Yeah, so. And there are a lot of good people there, sure. too. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of, you know, I you know, worked with so many colleagues who were really good and cared and you know were willing to work together so it's not it's not you can't paint everybody with one brush but it's the culture there that i think really is hard for someone who went there to make a difference and, and change and, and um, you know see what happens i think you uh had a lot of success because you're like the least politician politician i i've ever met <laughs> yeah, that's true um and I, I i think being a politician is really about charisma and being somebody that people feel like they can approach and go to with a problem and they're going to fix it. And I totally understand why you were elected to, to where you were. And, and I'm proud that you're here uh, being the protector of Padmigiano. Well, I always believe that God puts you where he needs you. And right now God needs me to save pasta in America <laughs> yes. and, and Italian cookies and sweet biscuits and Italian coffee. So uh, I am where I need to be. Doing a good job. you have any uh, favorite product that you couldn't live without? Uh, listen, I'm a lasagna i mean that was our christmas day dinner my mother's lasagna and um, i wouldn't be able to live without lasagna ravioli i mean just are you a christmas eve fish family we are yes yeah. we are my mother did the seven fishes we americanized it a little bit and added some lobster and shrimp and <laughs> we I, just had that conversation last week <laughs> we talked about lobster we somebody ch- said you would never see a lobster in the mouth <laughs> no. of the but no. you know but it works for some people no. well just to get my kids to <laughs> like of the Christian, we had, to, we had to bring in some some other things to attract them to that <laughs> meal. Sure. We always tell the story, I, I cook for my family ever since my grandfather died. And when I took over Christmas at 17, I maintained that we had to have an eel. And my poor cousins, I would make them try it every year. Now we order two eels because we have to feed everybody. But I was convinced that I was going to be able to make them eel eaters, and I didn't work. <laughs> so. Well, Congressman, really thank you so much for thank coming you. out. Congratulations on uh, a great thank success. You. and. Hopefully more to come, and thank uh, you. feel good to have you out there fighting for thank our you. traditions and, and culture. Thank, thank you for what you're doing. It's great, uh, you know, passing on the Italian way and traditions, and, and uh, you know, we're proud to be Italian, but we're also proud to be here in America, and sure. blessed, so blessed. We're the uh, luckiest people in the world. I agree. Well, from all of us here at the Italian American Podcast, this has been a great insight into uh, the beautiful relationship between our two countries, and really uh, hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back with you next week yes we'll see you next time if you want your life to be great see that you're born an italiano and your life will be great see that you're born an italiano 